0: How's it going there? This is Dan Dan Finlay, uh, one of the co-founders, kind of all around uh, fish wrangler over at MetaMask, where we make a, uh, a cryptocurrency wallet that lets you interact with applications in dynamic ways. <clears throat> and as you might imagine, that uh, has some significant security requirements that come along with it. And um, we've really uh, constantly had to push ourselves to think about security in, in the highest possible terms. And so here on this uh, episode two of Secure UI with Dan, uh, we're going to be reading a, a bit. Um, this week, we're going to be reading uh, Rich Sharing for the Web by Mark Stiegler. Um, this is, I mean, Copying Ease uh, that we read last week is a great just kind of intro to the to the concept of like, believing that security and usability can be one thing um, but this Stegler article I think cuts right to uh, the thematic core of what it means to make a, a really safely uh, extensible distributed application and and these ideas I think are still not widely appreciated but fortunately uh, Stegler is going to present us these ideas I, I think they're they're ideas that are are kind of deep and nuanced and you may not understand why they're powerful on the first go. Um, but he, he frames it in a way that I think should be very accessible. Um, he, he's going to argue that uh, email is very justifiably the most successful uh, multi-user communication medium of the web. And there are some specific reasons that nothing to this day has unseated email in its role. There's some things that email is just doing right that everybody who's trying to make a new platform is just not really doing. Um, And so why don't we just look at this basic thing, this thing that people really take for granted. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got a lot to say about email uh, in how it's kind of not perfect today, but, but I think that there are are, uh, still lessons to be learned, you know, junk mail, obviously chiefly among them. The fact that it's, um, the the unsubscribe action is kind of inverted. You're asking for permission to be unsubscribed instead of um, unsubscription to be more of an active revocation, right? Calling back to copying these principle of revocation. Any capability you hand out should be revocable, right? So that's kind of a flaw with email. But besides that, there's a lot of things email does right, right? I mean, everybody can use it. Uh, you can have lots of hosting providers all competing, right? We can... You can forward, you can quote, you can have threads, you get a multi-user, you can add users, you can BCC, like has attachments. So a lot of things that it just does that are just kind of more versatile and intercompatible than pretty much anything else, right? So um, we're gonna gonna talk a little bit about that. This is not a long paper. So that's probably why I'm giving myself license to ramble a little bit. Also, um, both of my listeners from last week uh, gave the feedback that they enjoyed some of the side commentary. I understand it is sometimes hard to tell when I'm giving commentary as I read. I am going to read this and then kind of interject freely, which is not usually the polite way to read something. If this isn't exactly an audiobook experience, this is this is uh you can think of it more as Dan in conversation with a paper on secure UI. Um so um, you know, and someday maybe I'd I'd love to have some of these authors uh on and and talk to them. Uh Mark Stiegler is a really interesting person. Uh he was uh, the project manager on the Xanadu browser, which I think is a fun buzzwordy thing to say about him, but um, you might uh, you might rather know him from some of his sci- sci-fi writing. Um, one of his most common uh, commonly known short stories was the uh, the Gentle Seduction. Um, I'm also reading uh, his his book Earthweb, which is very good, and I, I look forward to reading another one of his that he was recently talking about. Had a talk I attended, but I can't remember the name offhand where it involves. Uh, um, kind of a, a future civilization state where kind of uh, global warming has had its effect and some tribes have split off into a lot of different ways of surviving. Uh, some intellectuals have like escaped to cruise ships floating uh, out into in the waters and they're kind of trying to create a uh, internet government, um, <laughs> you know, through communicating and uh, developing new AIs and stuff. Uh, anyways, that, that sounds great. Mark Siegler's is a really imaginative guy. Um, After his work on the Xanadu browser, which has been having a recent kind of resurgence in popularity, uh, thanks to some note-taking apps like Roam Research starting to kind of popularize the backlinking style of data organization, um, Xanadu was a a precursor to the modern browser as we know it today. A lot of ideas that Tim Berners-Lee put into the initial browser came from uh, Xanadu, but are not exactly pure uh, implementations of what he did. Kind of, of what it was kind of trying to achieve, it was aspiring to be a browser that incorporated payments, incorporated backlinking and attribution, and, uh, and kind of uh, the the interconnecting of, of documents in in more directions, uh, all in all in one. So it may have been biting off more than it easily could, but um, something that I've noticed is a lot of the people that worked on that came out with a lot of uh, valuable uh, lessons and ideas, and a lot of them went on to be really uh, you know novel pioneers of The web in their own right. Mark Stiegler uh, went on to spend some time at HP Labs, where he did a variety of um, projects uh, related to uh, secure UI. In particular, uh, he, along with Alan Karp and Tyler Close, had developed the Waterken Distributed Application Development Environment. This was an object capability programming environment um, that allowed users to uh, well, write applications that uh, utilize the six principles that we'll be discussing in this paper in just a few moments. Um, uh, along During his time working on WaterCan and building these distributed applications, uh, Mark, Allen and Tyler produced a wide variety of uh, literature about their research on secure UI as a result of the applications they developed during that time. And they made some really interesting applications, um, some that have user experience flows that are still kind of alien to what modern, uh, computer interfaces are like, but that achieve some things that are unachievable with modern, uh, computer systems and their, um, you know, access control list based security policies. Um, so without further ado, oh yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I mentioned, I mentioned, uh, Xanadu, a lot of its graduates went on to work at Agoric whose shirt I'm wearing right now. So if, if you're watching the video stream, uh, it looks it all ties together. I'm a real big fan of their work. And, and here in this, in this paper, it, I really think that Mark lays out from a user's perspective um, some of the principles and some of the ideals of software that underpin, and they, they go deeper than user experience. They, I think, cut very directly right to the object ca- capability security model. He's gonna point out some some features of email experience that make it uniquely powerful and then when we start talking about building things that have those principles, I think we're gonna quickly see that it doesn't really resemble the modern web in, in quite a few ways. All right, so let me just share my, uh, share my screen here. All right, so without further ado, um, oh, I'm going to briefly uh, have a sip of tea, excuse me. All right. Rich Sharing for the Web by Mark Stiegler. Abstract. We use email for a tremendous number of different purposes. Interestingly, we often use email for purposes for which other applications have been explicitly designed. Email, even though not purpose-built, often just works better. Why is this? We've identified six key features of sharing that are needed to support secure cooperation. Features that enable the users themselves to build networks of access rights that implement the principle of least authority, thereby maximizing the opportunities for for cooperation among participants with limited mutual trust. Systems that do not implement these six features will feel rigid and inadequately functional once enough users are involved. Forcing the user to seek alternative means to work around the limitations in those applications. Email is almost the only application on the web that implements all six features, making it the natural fallback application. We use email for everything because email is the only thing that works for everything. Here we describe the six features, highlight some of the consequences when the six features are not integrated and look at the results when an application is built specifically to support the whole set in a quote, rich sharing system. And I'll just note at this time, this article was written in 2009. So I'm I'm speaking here from 2021. So you know we've got we've got 12 years on them here, and I'll tell you, uh, email is still the go-to for a lot of things. Um, but I will note that probably more other applications are competing with email than ever before. So as I go, I might kind of keep an eye out for applications that have started to displace it. Some people are using social media. Some people are using. You know, Twitter as their main DM. Some people are using Snapchat as their way to connect with friends. Um, uh, some people do all their work in Slack. Um, Telegram has become a huge, uh, you know, community building avenue. Um, have any of these totally replaced email? Well, many of them still use email as a recovery mechanism at the very least. Um, but now maybe some applications are starting to pick up some of these. Um, If if you want to play a game, you could fill out a spreadsheet. And let's see which of your favorite applications matches these six principles. All right. Uh, So uh, oh, that was he then repeats the abstract. Let me see. Okay. so I'm going to now skip the second abstract and go straight to the problem. Too many of our distributed system applications feel rigid and inadequately able to support our need to solve problems in cooperation with our teammates. Consider two real life examples that represent failures of our systems to enable even the most basic sharing relationships. One, the employee's pay stub. The employee's pay stub is made available as an online web page that lives behind the corporate firewall and can be accessed with the employee's single sign on password. However, suppose that employee's spouse is the one who schedules vacations and maintains the family's financial accounts. The spouse needs access to the pay stubs and would like to further grant access to the pay stubs to the family's tax accountant during the tax preparation period. But to grant the access, the employee would have uh, the spouse, they, they would have to give the spouse both the means to hook up to the corporate VPN to get inside the firewall and the single sign-on password. Each of these actions is necessary Um at, at, each of those is necessarily a gross violation of corporate security policy, of course, uh, for their gross violations of the principle of least authority. The spouse would acquire authority far and excess of what's needed. You know, they're just accounting authority that could easily be abused, either maliciously or by accident. If she's just looser with her passwords and her computer security in practice today, the employee resorts to the following strategy. Bring up the pay stub in the web browser, snapshot the window of the stub into a file, and then email the file to the spouse, which then emails it forward to the tax accountant. This is tedious, time-consuming, insecure as email is generally not encrypted, leaving the sensitive information out open to man-in-the-middle attacks, and it's error-prone. But it's the best current the, the best that technology currently offers us, and uh, I think this is still totally true. Like if you start if you're thinking about like accounting and stuff. I mean, I guess I will sometimes use a let's say cloud drive service to share files. In that case, like if I'm doing accounting, I usually keep a folder, you know, encrypted in a in a shared uh, drive. So that's one way that this is maybe you know some cloud service providers. I mean, obviously Google is going for the play of like we are your share drive thing. And um, in some ways, I bet you they they match these. So I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna put Google up against these a little bit as I read. Um, A second example, simple file sharing. Alice wishes to collaboratively edit a file with Bob. In theory, the access control list ACL systems on our computers and networks would enable such sharing by allowing Alice to simply add an access control entry to the list that grants Bob the right to edit that file. In practice though, this technique is often too awkward and is entirely non-functional. Right, even though operating systems are giving us file sharing uh, features, we're usually not using those features because they're just too rigid, right? So you're gonna reach for the first thing that feels flexible. Um, Suppose Bob works for another company. The sharing would not work across the firewall even if Alice really into firewalls a a decade ago, I I guess. Um, Suppose Bob works for another company. The the sharing would not uh, work across the firewall even if Alice could construct the appropriate access control entry, which she cannot because Bob has no identity inside the administrative domain for which the ACL system has been constructed. IT organizations may try to work around this in the most crucial circumstances by using federated identity management. But in practice, Alice will simply email the file to Bob with a note, Bob, when you're done editing this, send it back to me. I do think that some of these file sharing uh, services, so like Google, Google has enterprise uh, plans and from your enterprise plan, you can add external guests and By by allowing you to add external guests, you uh, you're you're yeah you're going beyond. They're adding a little bit of friction, but you're extending beyond any given uh, corporate firewall policy, which is kind of nice. Geez, I hope this doesn't turn into a big Google ad. Surely they're not following all six principles, right? Uh, (laughs) I mean, at the very least, you're creating a bit of lock-in. Also, uh, modern uh, cloud-based bio editing has come a long way in the last decade. The, the thought of sending a file over to let somebody edit it is a little bit unthinkable these days, isn't it? Um, we're already like, no, the, the file should live in the cloud so that you can both be editing it in real time. Uh, this goes for pretty much every kind of file other than, I guess, code uh, where you know, pull requests are still basically used as a formality, right? All right, let's continue. OK. And here, here's the solution that Stiegler presents, and this is going to go a little fast, Um, you know, this, uh, this article is not as dense with examples as copying these. So I'm going to probably go slow and interrupt a lot. Ironically, problems like this have been solved smoothly in the physical world since before the advent of computers. We've identified six key features of sharing that are routinely implemented in the physical world. When integrated properly, these features enable ordinary people to comfortably and intuitively implement good approximations of the principle of least authority, thus enabling people to work together even when they have limited trust in one another. Let us consider the six features in the context of a simple three-sentence physical world example that uses all six features at the same time. Three sentences for all six. All right, here we go. Alice, in a race to her next meeting, turns thunderstruck to Bob and says, Bob, I just remembered I need to get my daughter Carol to Dave's repair shop. Uh, I've got to go to this meeting. Can you take Carol's car over there? Hmm, okay. So here are the six features and how each plays into solving that problem. Dynamic. Alice must be able to grant Carol's car driving authority quickly and effortlessly without requiring action from Carol's, Alice's or Bob's IT departments, right? An IT department does not get control of your key. You can just spontaneously take it. So, Alice turns to Bob to get her daughter to Carol. Her daughter Carol's car to Dave's repair shop, right? So Alice is responsible for her daughter Carol's car, and she's getting it to Dave's, but she's delegating to Bob. So there's there's two hops of delegation, and three if we're uh, talking about then giving the key to the repair guy, which you probably will. All right. So that's dynamic. There's no no third party gets to tell you that you can or can't delegate this authority to attenuated. Alice has Carol's car key on Alice's key ring. Alice must be able to give bill the key to Carol's car without surrendering the entire ring of keys that include Alice's own car and Alice's house keys. I.e. Alice must be able to grant the authority without giving bill her single sign on password. Yeah. Tell me about it. Now maybe one of the most egregious things about, um, uh, pretty much any platform where it's a single password that gives you access to all of your stuff. Well, unless all of that stuff has sharing individually implemented within it, to access any of it, you have to bring your whole password. So let's say I'm going on to, here's an example. I go to the library. I want to sign on to a computer I don't trust so that I can read a file that I have permission to read. Um, I'm going to have to put in my master password into this public computer that could have a key logger on it and could be collecting all my info and then just like using it to drain my bank account later on or something. Um so I'm gonna have to uh yeah I have to drop my whole my whole uh account. Now they're suggesting, okay, well a key ring can be divided. So they're kind of getting at the uh um principle of appropriate boundaries in a way, right? They're like, what is the level of granularity that matters to the person? The key ring's too big. Uh, in the case of a car maybe the car the car is a pretty good unit of control uh, so that's a pretty intuitive user experience um one thing i might not oh actually let me just read ahead yeah they don't mention uh oh wait yeah so the second one is the attenuation so okay so we're getting into attenuation i would say further that while the car is the unit of control attenuation is also kind of a fluid concept you should be able to attenuate let's say make a limit on it. Uh, how long can you have the uh, car? Uh, if it was a valet, you might give them the valet key, which I don't know why they call it a valet key, because I think it it only opens the trunk, right? Or, or it doesn't open the trunk. It only starts the car, doesn't open the trunk. So I guess the idea is a valet can't get into your trunk, so you keep your valuables in your trunk. I don't know, every car I've ever been in, you could drop the back seat to get into the trunk, but I guess that's another story. Um, so what I'm getting at is, uh, while well, keys are a good unit, You know, the car is probably the atomic unit of, of control for driving a car, right? You're not going to uh, decompose it. It's not, it's parts aren't fungible. You can't like t- take half a car like, hey, you take half the car, I'll take half the car. That's not like a meaningful amount of car to take. You can cut it in half with the chainsaw, but the parts are uh, less, than the, you know, they're less than the sum of their parts, that's for sure, uh, as the saying goes. So, all right, so the key as the unit of control for the car, sure, it would be cool if we could attenuate it in some other dimensions, like give a give a duration or maybe give some boundaries within which you could drive it. That'd be really cool, right? As we get into, if we're going to have digital cars that are you know smart, having attenuations like that could eventually make a lot of sense. Um, but hey, for, for our basic grounded metaphor, let's stick with the key ring. You can break up your keys. You can handle a single key away. Look at that. Principle of lease authority, you're giving away the smallest thing you could possibly give to let somebody drive your car. Um, all right, let's go on to the third feature of dynamics uh, sharing. Chained. The authority Alice is giving Bob does not originate with Alice. It originates with Carol. It's her car. Alice must be able to redelegate to Bob the authority delegated to her by Carol. Further, Bob will have to be able to redelegate the authority again to Dave at the repair shop. Building and attenuating chains of delegation is particularly hard for traditional access control list-oriented sharing. Transform this card delegation problem into a file sharing scenario. Carol has given read-only attenuated authority to Alice. Now, Alice needs to enable Bob to fulfill her file reading responsibilities while Alice is in the meeting. uh, Simplify by assuming that Carol and Alice and Bob are all behind the same firewall and are all part of the same administrative domain. Even with these simplifications, the ACL system fails. Alice cannot delegate her read authority to Bob. Why? Because in order to grant a read authority to Bob, Bob would have to have uh, access control list editing authority, which would confer Alice de facto control over the whole file, including writing. And this is a this is a good example of when, uh, yeah, well, role-based access control is kind of fundamentally flawed. And uh, yeah, if basically it usually comes from when an application is trying to separate the concept of delegation from the concept of, of um, the thing that is being delegated. So if I'm trying to let you read, if I try to say, but you can't let other people read, that's kind of unrealistic, especially the way information works, right? Once you've read a sentence, you know that sentence, you can tell it to someone else. I can say you don't. You only have permission to read it, but that doesn't really mean anything, right? And similarly, if I say you have access to write this file, but you can't let anybody else write to it, what are people going to do? They're going to copy the file. They're going to send it to someone else, right? If this happens, like people literally do, get jobs that they don't do and they outsource, right? There's like, did you read about that guy? He had like outsourced uh, like ten jobs to ten people. He he had, had like a record. He was he was he had ten jobs at once because he was so good at just getting a job. And then hiring somebody else to do it, and so he was just like, and and he'd hire people for much less, and so he was basically playing labor arbitrage, right? And um, who's to say that's like, is that unethical or is that just exploiting a kind of fundamental like uh, conceit of like of the power that was granted to him, right? It's like classic principal agent problem. I, I'm really really been playing with the principal agent problem lately i I think it's actually a really beautiful way of distilling a lot of the problems of social organization um i'm uh, the principal is the person who's hiring somebody else to do something for them as the agent and the question is how can the principal trust the agent to act on their behalf you know when you hire a plumber how do you know they're not going to like cheap out on the parts and have it leaky again you know when you when you go to the car shop how do you know they're not lying about what's wrong with your car and just giving you a run around you know like how do you how do you know like and and like are you gonna then take it to your other friend who's a car expert and get their opinion and then like share reputation do reputational damage you know kind of the best the web has given us is reputational damage right like at least with yelp you can like say bad things about somebody who wrongs you but um you know what yelp had that notorious thing where they were scrubbing reviews or like threatening people with removing good reviews. Um, so, I mean, is that really how you wanna, is that the only mechanism we're gonna have? Like, how do you reconcile this problem where we're constantly trying to engage in cooperation with strangers and we just don't have an easy way of knowing if that stranger is going to cooperate with us? Are they gonna be good or are they gonna be bad, right? It's like the fundamental question of cooperation. And and we act like money and police solve all of it. like well, if they rip me off, I'll call the cops, you know, or like, I go into a store, kind of assume, you know, well, it's a store that's probably not shady, right? But like, meanwhile, there's externalities, you know, you know, that all those goods, they're, they're kind (laughs) of, they're kind of giving you the smallest deal they can give you, right? There's, there's a lot of fundamental unalignments throughout society. And really, we just want alignment. We're just like, look, look, I'm just trying to buy a little food that's like, Ideally, not killing the planet and me at the same time—is that so much to ask, right? Like I could grow it myself, I guess, if I had time. But you know, we know for society to be scalable, some specialization is like clearly an efficiency gain. So we need to be able to not do everything, and that means we need to be able to trust other people to do what we uh, hope they'll do, right? It's a really modest request, and yet I—I I don't think we've done a great job of addressing it we act like there are rules that aren't really there. And uh, meanwhile, we kind of um, don't take advantage of the rules that, or at least the advantages that are there. And so, so here in, in an example like this, um, the, the advantage is this chain of people that trust each other to help each other out, right? So we've got, uh, Alice wants to uh, give Bob the, the car um, key because she trusts Bob to help her out right? They're, they're close. They're close enough that she's willing to take this risk, right? Uh, if she, if this was just a meeting thing, she wouldn't risk her car with him. I mean, maybe if it was like a total emergency, you know, we don't have the full story here. So we don't know under what duress Alice is in, but if this is just a meeting, this is like a two hour difference and like, Oh, uh, I don't know, maybe her daughter, Carol's going to miss the dance, but like, it, I don't know, like she doesn't, she's not a big dancer anyways. <laughs> like if it's something like that, then, then who cares? Obviously for her to be going to Bob, for Alice to go to Bob, she trusts him. And by being able to trust there actually is, hey, there's an incentive alignment there. Have you noticed that? She's, she's not like paying him, right? There's actually like just two people who trust each other to help each other out. Huh, isn't that interesting? We just like casually have moments of cooperation in our day-to-day life that aren't associated with like the coercion of you know the paying and like hoping to get the best deal or whatever. And so so what we've got is we've got some friends who have got they've got cooperation power. They've got belief in each other and the will to help each other. And all they want to do is take the resources they've got and put them together in a you know, mutually beneficial way. You know, I was like, Bob, can you help me? And Bob, for whatever reason, the goodness of his heart, expecting reciprocity, whatever it is, they've got an established relationship that makes him totally open to the idea. And hey, it's a small favor to offer anyways. And you know, yeah, social reciprocity is a beautiful thing. We, we know when we build strong relationships with people that we see all the time, it's just a better life for all of us, right? So why then would we build a file sharing system where the right to edit a file isn't the right to, sh- to add other editors, right? Okay, so maybe, maybe we finally are at the point where we do that. I, I'm actually not sure. I, I don't know if adding someone as an editor on a Google Doc lets them invite others uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, it may be editor and owner actually, isn't it? Um, okay, so you've got editor and owner, just the same as usual. And that's how access control lists tend to work. Uh, as soon as you realize there's a action that wants to be delegated, now you make another row in the database to represent the ability to share that. And then here's the, here's the recursive catch that makes it all impossible. As soon as you've added a new row, which is a thing that lets you do another thing, well, the, what, who gets to assign that, right? And so for every rule representing a policy that you can put into an access control list, there's an implied additional row that you can put in that implies the ability to delegate and grant that role. And that's a recursive problem. And it goes all the way to the top. And you'd better hope that you've got as many roles as you need hops of delegation Otherwise your access control list model isn't gonna work. And plus have fun managing the role permissions in that scenario. You're gonna just keep on like, it's like somebody says, hey, uh, I I need to share that a second time. The the person I shared that with needs to share it. Uh, Mind if you up me to super super admin and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, One sec, I just have to go request third degree super admin myself uh, from the person who granted it to me and then I'll give you that. Like, Can you imagine having to bubble up and down the chain every time an additional delegation is needed? Meanwhile, we could have just made the permission to access the file in the first place. Something itself can be delegated. You know, a key to a car, perfect example. Another example, um, uh, not uh, okay. So there's a Mark Miller term. He uh, sometimes calls this a Swiss number. A web key is also one of these. I used to think a macaroon was one of these. Basically, a long number or you know, a long series of characters that are long enough that they're universally identifiably unique and you can basically treat it like a secret key. So if you come to me with the right long sequence of digits, then I am willing to start up my car for you. right? So there's, there's very simple ways of doing this in the digital space. However, if you do that type of uh, Swiss number, it's called a Swiss number because uh, I guess there's like a myth that uh, there's a type of Swiss bank account or there was one where the presentation of the number alone was sufficient authority to use that account. Um, I don't know if that's true. If that's not true, then we should come up with another name for whatever that is. The the long identifier that is an access cookie itself that can be shared. Um, It's not associated with a single account necessarily. Um, One thing you lose in that model is the chain of delegation. So you don't have kind of pedigree of the authority. Um, There are alternative schemes where each person with authority signs an explicit delegation message to an additional person and so forth. And you basically need something like that if you're gonna incorporate um, uh, either infinite delegation or delegation that can be attenuated. Like if, if you're just using a web key or Swiss number approach uh, you're always delegating your full authority, right? But sometimes you actually do wanna delegate a limited authority. Maybe you have edit permission on the document. Maybe you wanna delegate edit permission on just a paragraph, right? Just get that final approval. <coughs> Excuse me. All right. So, yes, chained. Chained is important. Um, Now, forgive me for going off quite a bit on that one, Um, but but the chain ability is, I think that's, you almost could have saved that for last because it's the thing that makes the sharing uh, recursively, scalably composable, right? We're not just talking about sharing like a small, you know, like a node and the links to it. We're talking about arbitrarily complex graphs of sharing, right? And hey, that's uh, that could imply very wide cooperation. Um, I'll throw out that, uh, the stat I love, uh, you know, there's the old game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, where you try to pick two, you pick an actor and then try to, you um, identify in six degrees of separation. Um, You try to link them to Kevin Bacon and ideas. I guess Kevin Bacon's been in so many movies that you should be able to associate any actor or actress to Kevin Bacon. Um, Well, Facebook did an analysis of their social graph and they said, it's more like three and a half degrees of separation between any two people on the planet. I mean, that's within their social network, of course, but if, uh, if three and a half degrees separate any two people on the planet, then, yeah, hey these chains of delegation don't have to necessarily be huge if we can support uh you know four degrees uh deep we are likely able to support just about anything we, or any any earthly modern human concern that's pretty cool that's good to know um sometimes these delegation chains have been exploited in the wild uh the pgp web of trust uh scheme is a chain of signatures kind of similar to this they represent rep, uh trusting somebody's uh, proclaimed name um, and there was a vulnerability at one point where people would just make really, really long chains of, of vouching, and so the computers trying to process it, they would find themselves in like a, I forget if it achieved an infinite loop or something, but you know these these chains have to be finite to be computational, but um, sorry, I digress. On to the fourth of six uh, principles of rich sharing. Uh, um, cross domain. The car dra- driving authority originates in Carol's domain, passes through the domain where Alice works with Bob and winds up at Dave's repair shop. The authority must seamlessly pass through all these domains without requiring construction of a federated identity management system for Alice, Bob, Carol, and Dave. This is again difficult for traditional access control list security, which stops at the administrative boundary where the identities cease to be recognized. Ah, yes, identities as actually a kind of uh, authority boundary. As soon as you introduce an identity into a system, any, any kind of subsystem that relies on that system for identity is actually constrained to its members. What identity as actually a thing that constrains the flexibility of delegated authority? That's, that seems kind of noteworthy. Um, you know, We know that uh, identity is useful for some things, right? Like um, making sure somebody can, can vote is the right age to vote and uh, can, is the right age to drink, and you know, uh, KYC, AML stuff, like making sure somebody's, uh, uh, if, if you're trying to make sure that uh, somebody's compliant financially with the thing, uh, associating their identity with an account for the sake of a legal entity can be useful. Um, but in a computer system, yeah, what computer systems require an identity system? And what, what are you uh, siloing to an identity system? And then if you are doing that, are you locking anybody into a kind of corner of the web there, or are they able to move out? I don't want uh, I, I, I don't, to, I don't know the, the easy answer there, but it's really interesting how, how these federated authority, uh, identity systems can uh, cause a, a little bit of a siloing. All right. And fourth, uh, fifth, these should be recomposable. Dave must be able to operate the repair shop's garage door and drive the car at the same time. If Carol's car were behind one firewall and the garage door were behind another firewall, this would not be possible. Only one VPN can uh, be used. Only one VPN can used to cross one firewall at a time can be used. Otherwise, a significant principle of least authority violation may occur. Right. So these should be recomposable regardless of what you're on. There's obviously a lot of VPN concern uh, in this article. Uh, I've worked at places that have used varying degrees of uh, stringency related to VPNs. And uh, I can see what he means. I I don't think this is as common today. but, But yeah, knowing that you should be able to use two capabilities at once in kind of a dynamic way that makes sense. Accountable. Accountability in the physical world has numerous subtleties. If Bob wrecks Carol's car, Carol will want to hold Alice accountable, not Bob. Carol probably doesn't even know Bob and she has no ongoing relationship with Bob via which she can pursue remediation. On the other hand, once Bob passes the car into Dave's hands, if Dave wrecks the car, Carol will want to hold Dave responsible despite the transitive grant of authority across Bob, whom Carol does not know. Carol once again has an ongoing relationship and a means of remediation with Dave. So uh, that accountability is uh, is. That's a big one. I, I hinted briefly at, at accountability when we were talking about Swiss numbers and how they don't give you an audit trail, right? Um, now, it would be nice if you had full accountability. Um, now, once these keys have uh, passed hands many, many times, it's not like there's a empirical log of who gave a key to who. You kind of just, you know, by the time the police are on the scene, they just see whoever wrecked the car, right? Um, now. Uh, I guess that, uh, so let me, let me get the names back in order. Uh, So Alice is going to Bob for car, uh, her daughter, Carol's car, right? So Carol is going to hear that her car was wrecked and she's going to go straight to her mom, Alice. And she's going to say, mom, (laughs) what happened? Right. And that's, that's what he's saying. Um, So that accountability is like how you kind of start playing the, the accountability game. We're going to, they're going to go down this chain of trust and there's going to be like a, a little turn of, of checking, blaming, forgiving or uh, compensating there's there's a few different uh, ways it can play out I've actually kind of um written a little bit about this uh, um, on my on my uh, capable Rome graph um, I've got a page called the social collateral dance and that's that's what I uh, am just playing with calling this but it's the thing where you've got a chain of people each of whom, Vouched with the collateral of their social relationship, and they have to turn to the other one and get accountability. And so there's a lot of uh, different ways that that can go. Um, so it can uh, result in compensation, resent, and forgiveness. Um, is that the is that the three? If if that's the case, uh, I should like formalize that into like the three responses. But okay, so Alice goes to sorry sorry Carol goes to Alice and says, "What happened?" And okay, if she, the first thing she can do is compensate. She can say, "I'm so sorry. That is on me. Here's a new car." Great. Uh, Carol is now happy, and she's like, "Oh, fine. I've been compensated." Uh, the second thing would be resent. Uh, this would be where Alice says, "You know what, Carol? <laughs> I'm sick of you getting on my back. And uh, while I may feel a little bad about wrecking your car, uh, I'd do it again. And and I don't feel bad. And or you know whatever." But at some point, in some cases, Carol's gonna go, you know, I, I'm wronged. You know, this may be grounds for a lawsuit, but let's not bring the law into it just yet. This is just a this a file sharing exercise, perhaps. Um, Carol's gonna say, Well, that's certainly the last time I trust you with my car. Um, or or get this. There can also be forgiveness. Carol could say, Oh, well, I I believe you, I believe that you didn't mean to, right? So I mean, Carol would have to say something like. I really didn't mean to. She could even say, I thought it wasn't a big deal. I lent it to Bob. He's usually fine with it, but it's that damn mechanic, Dave, who's who you asked me to give it to in the first place. So this really isn't on me at all. You should really take this up with Dave. And then also, and then Carol would be like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. It sounds like this is Dave's fault. And so she goes there. So. So there we go. We saw compensation, resent, and forgiveness. And that's going to go for each link of the chain, uh, potentially uh, now in that last one, I showed, we kind of skipped to the chain. We were like all the way to Dave. We actually walked the chain right there in that sentence. Um, but let's say in the, in the case of compensation, if, if Dave wrecks the car, because that was a new mechanic that Bob took the car to that, uh, Alice hadn't asked him to, um, it gets wrecked. Carol says, Hey, Alice, what, what gives, she goes, uh, Look, I am not sure, but I'm good for it. Here's money for a new car. Then she goes to uh, to Bob and she says, Hey, what gives? And he's like, Oh, I took it to my buddy. I thought he was cool. And uh, you know, now at this point, same thing. He can pay and compensate, um, and it'll, and then he'll probably go and talk to Dave and you know try to get paid back also, uh, or you know he'll have that same conversation. This is what I call it, the social collateral dance. Each one, social relationship at stake. The collateral is the social relationship. If you burn it the person will probably, they'll probably trust you less now, right? They may trust you still, they may, you know, trust you a few more times, you know, Um, but they'll probably trust you a little less, probably, you know, even if it was, even if it was an accident, they might trust you a little less just because, you know, you, uh, you proved a little uh, kind of weak of judgment in terms of who you delegate things to, you know, that's still part of what you did. You know, delegation, we, we sometimes talk about it like, uh, you know, delegation, it's, it's part of who you are in a way. Who you delegate to is part of what you're doing. So your contribution to anything includes everyone you delegate to, right? And so coming back to the principal agent problem, uh, pr- the principal agent problem is a chainable problem. Um, and, and actually that's kind of what we saw in, in that example. Um, you know, we've, we've got uh, Carol, that's delegating, basically making her mother, her agent. And, you know, your mother's an agent you can surely trust, I hope. Right. And uh, you know, but not everyone has the, the benefit of trusting even their mother, but it's a, it's a precious thing when you can trust somebody and you can give them your car and trust that they're going to, they're going to get it done. Right. They may not do it themselves. They're going to get it done though. Right. And you know, so you may resent that guy for getting 10 jobs at once, or you may envy him for being so industrious, but uh you gotta you gotta kind of respect it a little bit because uh because what he did was he got he got the, those jobs done right and sometimes you hear a similar story about like someone who writes a program that like automates their job away and they they got the salary is that unethical well they got the job done is it so wrong that they delegated to some software of their own construction right they got the job done right who cares what what, what business of is it of yours how they did it right i mean. Hey, I mean, if they're, if they're causing externalities or destroying the environment while they're at it, you, you know, it may actually be hurting you, but if they're not hurting you, you know, Hey, I, at the end of the day, I, I think you got to respect when somebody's getting the thing that you asked them to done, you know, and if it's at a price that you're comfortable with uh, you know, I, I, I can't begrudge somebody like that. Sorry for keep on going back to that example, but it's an interesting example of, of a delegation kind of uh, done in unusual ways. And I think that's kind of a theme here is like people will sometimes delegate in ways that you don't expect. And I think part of the mental hop from access control security to capability-based security is the observation that uh, in general, delegation is more dynamic and unpredictable than anyone can really anticipate. And and just the observation that delegation is actually kind of fundamental to people cooperating. And it can seem really like too obvious. You're like, yeah, yeah, delegation, digital delegation, whatever. Like, like, But it's not easy in pretty much any computer system today. And that, that's kind of the reason that I'm talking about this right now is, is that there are some kind of obvious conclusions about how computers should be built that are still not um, socialized or publicly understood well enough to be normal. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic, I'll say at this point, because I've clearly introduced the theme of object capabilities and their place in computer history. Uh, I am optimistic about Google's uh, new operating system initiative, uh, Google Fuchsia, uh, which is looks like it's intended to replace Android eventually. And this is going to be, it, it's already able to emulate Android apps. And so it looks like it should be a smooth transition from Android to Fuchsia. But the fuchsia system underlying it uh, uses uh, capabilities as its system resources. So any application granted a system resource should be able to delegate those capabilities to other processes. Um, there's, I have a lot of outstanding questions about what that's going to feel like and how it's going to work and interoperate. But um, I think it's got a lot of uh, a lot of potential. Um, all right, now let's uh, let's get back to it. Um, Finally, yes. Oh, so so that's accountability. So that's the sixth uh, principle. So just to say them again, because I know I talked for like at least 10 minutes per probably. uh, So let me just say them in order. Dynamic, attenuated, chained, cross-domain, recomposable, and accountable. So just to say them with a very short summary, because they are, you know, we kind of went by them fast in a way. Dynamic is Alice being able to grant Carol's authority quickly and effortlessly without action from anybody's IT departments, right? Which really is a lot like the cross-domain one. Um, I think we could almost collapse these into five. I don't know. All right, next was attenuated. So you should be able to break up the key ring and delegate just the amount of authority you wanted. Chained. The authority once delegated should be able to be redelegated indefinitely. Cross-domain. The, uh, again the authority two different authorities from two different sources should be able to use be used in combination and at the same time you shouldn't have to switch context between authorities um, to kind of use two applications in concert sorry dry through <clears throat> recomposable that's uh, Oh no, recomposable was the one I just described, where you can use two domain, two authorities from two domains. The cross-domain one, oh yeah, yeah, that's the one where you're uh you're able to pass the authority through multiple domains. Recomposable is using authority from multiple domains. Ah, okay. Both of them related to dynamic, which is just about it all being kind of easy and not needing involvement from IT. And lastly, accountable. Accountability in the physical world has numerous subtleties, yeah. So that's the whole—that's the chaining, the social collateral dance. All right. Um, so, so yeah. Tell you what, I'm just going to take a minute there and and say something. Um, so I I introduced two terms uh, while I was interspersed uh, discussing this. I introduced object capabilities and social collateral. Those two terms are probably right there at the dead center of my research and interests right now and have been for the past uh, like two years or something. Um, the thing is, these are two different areas of study, uh, one from kind of economics and anthropology and another one from computer science. But they are, in my opinion, totally compatible and, and uh, they, they say something really powerful about each other. Um, social co- collateral is the process I just described where you can have networks of people who naturally trust each other and their social relationship can be collateralized. And the literature on social collateral is usually related to delegating money, so delegating like a, a credit limits and or allowances, and, uh, and those being recursively delegated. Um, the research on social collateral shows that this is basically how the banking industry works already, Um, how a lot of things are already done at small scales when, when lending and borrowing little examples like the car thing there. Um, But also uh, it seems that uh, it is kind of at the heart of what ideal microfinance would look like Um, when you're trying to get into, let's say the business of micro lending, the hardest thing to do is let's say you want to start a, a branch office for your bank in some new small town that you know needs investment. Okay. But, and so, so you've got some capital perhaps, uh, and you want to spend it well, well, you've got the principal agent problem all over again. You are looking for someone who you can give money to, who's going to actually use it in a way that I guess is going to bring you back money. Right. That's the whole point of a bank. Um, meanwhile, they're playing basically the opposite game, right? They, they, uh, Well, you don't know which game they're playing. They're either trying to just do something and need a little money, which is the person you're looking for, or they're just trying to rip you off. And you have no idea how to tell the difference. And if you just suddenly drop boots on the ground, you're going to find that you are just as prone to getting ripped off as you are to making good investments. And this, in my opinion, is why things like centralized credit is uh, generally, uh, well, uh, it, it's it can be expensive if you need a if you need a quick loan if you're not like if you don't have a really good credit rating your credit can be expensive. Uh, now mortgages are kind of cheap right now, but I, I think there's maybe other forces at play there. Um, so um, right, you you open your branch office. One of the best things you can do when starting a new small branch bank, if you're trying to do microfinance, is get yourself some local bank managers who ideally have a good sense of the local culture, maybe even have some social connections themselves, uh, maybe know you know who has a track record of successes and things like that and knows how to evaluate uh, credibility within that uh, scene. Um, enough of those can start to help you make a dent in actually uh, allocating those funds reasonably. But of course you've still got that initial problem. How do you find a small bank manager you can trust in the first place? And you know, I think this is, a, I, I hope you're really good at interviewing, you know, but but if you interview well, if you build good human relationships, you know, the art of building trust is its whole own thing. And, and I really think that if the technology was all built ideally, then building human relationships would be the game that's left for us. Um, so I'm just trying to build the tools that let us like maximally leverage all the trust relationships we can possibly build up so that we can. Well, collaborate to the maximum extent. Right. That's, that's the point. Uh, I'm a little, I'm a little held up on some of these uh, issues that our planet is facing, you know, chief, uh, you know, just climate change, but also there's a all manner of social ills and, you know, (laughs) yeah. So if we don't destroy the planet, we might just destroy each other uh, along the way. You know, it's, there's, there's a lot of large issues that kind of require, and, and meanwhile, you know, people are barely getting taken care of. People are, you know, Here in the United States, we don't have uh, medical care. A lot of people just getting left out. Uh, You know, people not getting uh, educational opportunities when they should. People getting, you know, basically pushed into crappy jobs, not even necessarily having jobs available to them. Uh, Meanwhile, we've got like a climate crisis. And and what are we doing? We're like, just, I don't know, like (laughs) working from home, like trying to work from home and then um, just watch the planet melt. Like, um, so, sorry, sorry for getting on a soapbox there. But if we were going to take an action that was worthy of, you know, the the task at hand, if we were going to try a solution, what would it? What would it take? Do we have to cover an ocean in solar panels? Do we have to? Do, do we have to invent a perpetual motion or, you know, a f- fusion, some kind of new energy source? Do we? Do we need to? You know make a lot of nuclear plants really fast. What's it gonna take, right? How do we evaluate proposals for even how to take on these big things? So we, we know we've got some big problems, but how do we delegate the solution to those problems? Oh my God, it's delegation again? Yeah, it's kind of just delegation again, isn't it? Um, the question is, how who who can we trust <laughs> to just get this done, right? And it's not going to be one person. If one person comes in, says, it's the monorail, you know, maybe not that guy, but, but uh, what's it going to take? Who can craft a plan? Who can build it? Um, And, and how can we delegate them the ability to do that? Right. What's it going to take? You know, they're going to need a supply chain. They're going to need food. They're going to need, you know, good housing for, for everybody involved in the project and let's get it done. Right. What's, so anyways i i really think and you know you can care about climate change or not um probably if you're watching this you care about something you know otherwise why are you trying to build stuff um so you know think about the problems you're trying to solve and you know we've got a little bit of a homelessness crisis over here in the bay area you know how many houses is it going to take what would it take for us to just like karate chop that problem you know how many homeless people are there like who can we trust to get that information, you know? Um, this is the kind of thing where I, I don't know the answer to those problems, but I believe that someone has an answer to that, right? And, and I believe that someone trusts that person to do it. And they might be able to tell a few others that they're a reliable source of that information. And if we just kind of made more, if we were better communicating what it is that we uh, need, what we're trying to accomplish, what we need and what we have to offer on the other side, then we should be able to kind of synchronize build plans a little more efficiently and hopefully coordinate on solving whichever problems we choose to set our sights on. That's uh, that's what I hope for us. I hope for us to get really good at addressing whatever comes our way. You know, I hear there could be uh, meteors flying, you know, extra orbital, We could, you know, with a strong enough telescope, see one coming in advance, one of those could take us out like the dinosaurs, right? Like, somebody should be on that, right? Like, is anybody on that? Like, I don't think we have like asteroid defense, Uh, right? That's a real planetary interest kind of story, right? And I bet a lot of us would love uh, the rights to pursue that problem. We'd love to delegate resources to the appropriate people to see that done. but. consistently we find ourselves kind of begging politicians to care, hoping a billionaire is going to make it their pet project or something like we shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't feel stuck praying to massive monolithic entities that have made very clear that they're kind of acting out of their own self-interest or, you know, or otherwise uh, undermined. We should feel empowered to uh, assess problems as a group, identify them, just gradually break them up, start sinking our teeth in kind of collectively, and just, just chew these problems down and really, really get through them. Um, that's, that's what I'm making uh, tools to do. Uh, I think we've got, we've got all the abilities in the world. We've got all the human beings in the world. Um, you know, and I think pretty much everybody, uh, the vast majority of people would rather be contributing to something important that needs doing. You know, there's a lot of people who need jobs for crying out loud, and a lot of people working bullshit jobs and a lot of people doing things that don't feel satisfying to them. And meanwhile, we have existential things. People could feel like heroes right now if we were just enabling people to get out there and address the actual issues. You know, why should we be living in a situation where uh, people are both so desperate for work and, and so in need of, of help? Like, it's like, let's get ourselves to work and start doing the things that we know need to doing you know it's like when COVID was first coming out it was like just ramping up mask production was like a, it was a huge blunder like you know you're like kind of begging people to tool up and like yeah we had a nice turnout with, you know the DIYers cranking out some uh, some 3D printed masks and stuff like that you know uh, face shields and stuff donating to hospitals but there's this weird under resourcing of what needs to get done. You know, we still just had a shortage of masks for a really long time. And it's a strange misalignment between what what people want to build and what uh, necessarily is needed. Okay. Sorry. Big soapbox tonight. Real, real soapbox energy. Um, really apologize for that. I'm, I don't even know if I should publish this. This is uh, a really becoming a little personal. Um, but okay. Um, let me continue, there's, there's another few pages of this article. Given these six features, the users in the field with the most knowledge of who needs authority to do what are in position to build networks of resource access that embody the principle of least authority. Chaining is the feature that ensures that individual people uh, have enough authority. Attenuation is the feature that ensures the individual principle does not have excess authority. Dynamicity. Domain crossing and recomposability are requirements that need recognition mainly because the web has haphazardly constructed so many impediments to sharing that these features must be explicitly designed into systems in order to overcome the web's complexities. Accountability is required because of the risks that still remain even in a principle of least authority environment or POLA environment. Sometimes, some people need large amounts of authority to have adequate authority. Um, And in, in... uh, those cases accountability is needed to remediate in case of abuse henceforth we refer to sharing with all six features as rich sharing yeah yeah that uh, revoc- revocability so when you wish that you have revocability with your uh, with your politicians you know every four years is that enough or is a highly dynamic system highly responsive and accountable you know, we should we should make our politics as dynamic as we expect our file sharing systems to be, easy. <laughs> sharing in action. We have two applications that suggest the power of rich sharing. One is a ubiquitous existing web application. The other is an application we built principally to experiment with the quality of user experience rich sharing confers on its users. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna get into an example here from HP Labs. This is an actual application built on, I, I think the, the WaterCan framework. The first example is derived directly from the two earlier examples of how current software systems fail to enable rich sharing, the employee's pay stub and the simple file sharing scenarios. In each case, the fallback strategy of users was to use email. This works because email integrates all six features of sharing. Email is dynamic. You can send email to anyone at any time. It's attenuated. A read-only authority on an attached document is referred to as an information copy. There's no suggestion that the sender will accept editing changes from the recipient. It's chained. Chaining in an email is called forwarding. Note that unlike the problem faced by the ACL user for sharing a read-only authority, the email user has no problem. Information copies can be forwarded as easily as read, write, send me your changes copies. Emails cross domain. Not even the most rigid and restrictive of IT organizations can shut off email across its firewalls. No one would be able to get their work done. It's recomposable data from emails from within one firewall can be seamlessly integrated with data from emails from behind another firewall. And lastly, email is accountable. If Alice asks Bob to edit a file and email it back, and Bob asks Carol to edit the file, and then, and Bob then emails it back, Alice will hold Bob responsible if the edits are erroneous. Hey, we kind of talked about this. If Carol whom Alice may not know, emails her result directly to Alice, either Alice will ask Carol who she is before accepting the changes, or if Carol includes the history of messages in the message, then Alice will directly see, once again, that she should hold Bob responsible. Email does not have accounting quite powerful enough to do all the things we'd expect in the physical world, like with the car key example of accountability at Dave's shop, but it is better than what we get from Windows or Unix file access controller system, and gives us a taste of what correct accounting would be like email is the ubiquitous application that no one can live without because it enables rich sharing. We've also built an application that explicitly implements rich sharing for files. This application, the Secure Cooperative File Sharing, ScoopFS system, has been used in a pilot program to see what, if uh, any, difference it makes if an application supports rich sharing. Indeed, We did get one emergent network of usage that surprised us after it unfolded, a network that was a direct consequence of proper rich sharing support. This usage was in the ScoopFS development and deployment system itself. Figure one shows a network of sharings among participants in the ScoopFS development and testing process. This network was not planned. It grew sporadically in pieces, built by the participants who were themselves unaware of the size of the network. A brief look at how this network evolved. I'm going to make this a little bit bigger. Here we go. Alan, uh, I believe at Carp was uh, the user interface developer. Um, Mark was the UI tester, and Carol ran ScoopFS support. In the beginning, when a new version of the UI passed Alan's preliminary testing, he would email the new version embodied in a single uh, SWF file to Mark, who is a, that's probably Shockwave Flash, uh, to Mark, who is also developer and a builder of new installations. Once ScoopFS started operating successfully, it was natural for Alan to simply share his production version, the version that passed preliminary testing, with Mark. Okay, so let's let's look at this graph down here. So Alan's this box on the left, and Mark's it, Mark is this box on the right. That's Mark Stiegler, the author, and 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 probably uh, Alan Alan Carp, right? I'm like, I'm saying the right Alan. There's just a bunch of Alans. I'm always mixing up Alan Carp and Alan K. That's right. Yes, no, no, no. I'm talking about Alan Carp, indeed. All right. Um, Okay, so let's just go over that example again while looking closer at the diagram. Um, So Alan's the user interface developer and Mark is the UI tester. And Carol ran ScoopFS support. Where's Carol? Ah, here she is. Um, In the beginning, when a new version of the UI passed Alan's preliminary testing, he would email the new version to Mark. So that would be... Uh, probably the prod, this little arrow here. He would send that over to Mark, who is a developer and a builder of new installations. Once it was operating successfully, he would then simply share his production version uh, back with Mark. So, oh, so he would, I guess, make some changes. So here he's devving a little bit and then he'd share it back with, oh wait. Oh yeah, so he's deving to prod and then sharing that. Ah, I see. At the beginning of testing, he would email it to Mark and then once it was working successfully, Alan would simply share his production version with Mark. Uh, OK. I think we're just talking about the difference between sharing a dev build and, and then the, produ- the prod build. Um, OK. When it passed the UI a preliminary testing, he would name it. And then later, he would just share his prod build. OK. Let's continue. So here's a network of rich sharings in the scoop FS development deployment process. Dotted lines are places where humans participants must take an explicit action to copy the file, uh, thereby demonstrating that the file has passed their verification slash decision requirement. Cool. Um, ah, okay. So from, so so Alan is the one who decides if Dev goes to Prod. At which point it is shared with Mark. Mark, uh. I guess it seems to go automatically to his dev, but then he decides if his prod goes to the build, which is then exposed to Carol by the build, which is then exposed to the external web hosting, which then dotted line, new users have the option of installing. Cool. So Mark set up the share from Alan to go into his own production environment for more testing. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to Alan, Mark further shared the new UI from his production environment into his own development environment so that his development system was automatically updated as well. That's this little automatic line, the dark line here. Separately, when Mark was satisfied with his more extensive testing, he would place the UI into the build environment and build a new installation. And he would email back to Alan who also maintained the website. That's probably this one here um, from which new users would download the installation. I see. Eventually they realized that this uh, was too short This too should be handled automatically with file sharing. So Mark shared the installation file. Uh, That's this this one here. Uh, He shared the installation file in the build system with the developer who placed the share in the external web hosting server from which new external users acquired the software. Unbeknownst to Mark, Alan then further shared it into the internal web server where internal users would download. Uh, So there's the new external users and then also internal users. It would be more surprising to me if it was also an external. But but yeah, so so this one file, it looks like they've got this kind of transitively delegatable file. So it's like, this is a live file. He drops it in here and then you've got a view of that file and then they've got a view of that file if they want it. And then that's updating um, to users all kind of seamlessly, just basically as as seamlessly as the file system itself. That's That's quite a claim of, kind of convenient cooperation. Um, And and we also see a little bit of cross-domainness here, right? The the fact that his file system is also basically shared by his web hosting. His web hosting is able to read the file as provided by this pretty rich sharing graph. And it looks like uh, Carol, who's doing support, is also herself sharing with users. I guess we're going to hear about that in a second. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, once the new UI was good enough to go into the installation, it was certainly good enough for Carol and uh, the ScoopFS support person. So the UI uh, file in the build environment was shared to Carol, who then realized that she should share it with all the current users. The current users, in turn, shared it to all the different machines upon which they ran ScoopFS. A common usage of ScoopFS was just to synchronize documents across all of a single person's machines so they could work anywhere, anytime. The developers of ScoopFS neither knew nor cared how many firewalls and administrative domains were crossed by the time the sharing of the UI was completed. Yeah, that's that sounds like a real smooth production pipeline. You know, we, we're really always working to automate these steps. I feel like in modern web app development, you end up writing a lot of bridge code, a lot of code just across a domain. You're like, oh, that's the GitHub API I've... We, w- we want to use GitHub to update your Notion doc, well, I'll need to build a web service to watch the GitHub to then update that. You don't just like take a GitHub object reference and then pass it into uh, your your notes doc, right? Um, but wouldn't that be cool? Like uh, if things were so cross domain. Hmm. Cool. Um, da, 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 da. The developers of ScoopFS, right. Uh, a couple of points are worthy of note. Finally, a series of uncoordinated spontaneous rich sharings yielded a primitive but effective workflow system. Second, a part of that workflow system was a patch update system. The sequence of sharings from the build environment through the ScoopFS support system to the users and all their machines fulfilled a purpose that normally requires a purpose-built system with extensive provisioning to deliver the updates. The ScoopFS patch uh, patch update system needed no central server. It used the compute power and the bandwidth of the end users acting as peers to achieve sharing in a manner akin to BitTorrent. That's pretty cool. Um, Um, Now let's, uh, here's a second diagram. looks like some disruptions. Oh, he's he's annotated that graph. I think with things that would not be easy to do in a traditional system. Let's see. Figure two, the ScoopFS development and deployment network with those elements not supported by the Microsoft live mesh removed. The two orange Xs represent either a violation of Pola or a usability usability failure that causes the user to have to work around inadequacies in the software. The three red Xs represent failures of functionality or a violation of Pola so severe it results in a full breach of all the machines in a subnetwork. Whoa, the three red Xs represent failures of functionality so severe it results in a full breach of all machines in a subnetwork. Let me see if I can guess what those are. So from prod to dev, just moving that file to another, to dev. Really, that's probably a case of the dev machine, for, for the dev machine to get access to the prod one, it requires his user credentials. And so um, the dev machine has had a full of violation. It, it can now do, anyone who compromises dev has now compromised all of Mark's uh, access uh, or yeah. Okay, so maybe, maybe. Um, One might conclude that any sufficiently powerful file sharing system would would achieve this result, but that is not true. Due to a fortunate happenstance, while the ScoopFS testing was proceeding, Microsoft released LiveMesh, a state-of-the-art file sharing and synchronization system with many features in common with ScoopFS. One of the ways in which LiveMesh differed, however, was uh, that it was not explicitly designed to support rich sharing. The contrast is portrayed in Figure 2 wherein the arrows representing flows of authorization and sharing that are not properly supported have been marked with Xs. A striking example of the limitations of non-rich sharing system is that the patch update system cannot be implemented. The reason goes directly back to points made early in the pa- earlier in the paper. The patch update system requires that one be able to chain an attenuated authority. Specifically, one must be able to redelegate a read-only file sharing, which, as explained earlier, is not possible with a traditional ACL system like that found in LiveMesh. Conclusion. Oh, so yeah, yeah. So let's uh, just see again. So the second one is going from the external web host to the internal. Uh, it's interesting that this first delegation is possible. Oh, right, right. The first delegation is always orange because uh, the orange one is a violation of pullout or a usability failure that causes you to work around inadequacies. So the orange Xs are probably like a person just sharing a file directly. Oh, hmm. You know, I'm not completely sure why those red Xs are complete uh, violations, and that would be a really, really great uh, topic to to dig into here further. Um, All right, well, anyways, conclusion. We have described the six key features to support rich sharing. We have explained how rich sharing enables the implementation of the principle of least authority, which maximizes the extent to which we can uh, work with people with whom we have only limited trust, enabling secure cooperation. We've shown how such rich sharing supports construction of more flexible and effective networks of authority that can evolve over time to meet changing requirements in both the context of email and file sharing. We have hypothesized that the benefits of extending the principles of rich sharing to every form of digital resource um, would produce benefits equally as striking as those shown in the two sample cases. And really, you know, the sample cases are, are relatively small examples, right? This is kind of just the the workflow of developing a piece of software itself. Then it's funny because they they're definitely dog fooding the application, and so they're showing how the software made its own production easier, which is always a nice uh, it's a nice sign. Uh, you know, uh, but but yeah. So so that's interesting. I really would like to better understand this diagram. This would be if I ever do a guest. I, I guess I I could have him walk through that. Um, you know, they, they've written a lot of other articles. Uh, Mark Siegler wrote quite a few other things with Alan Karp while he was at HP Labs. And a lot of those go into a lot more detail on the applications they were making. And so like one of them, he, they actually discussed the file sharing ScoopFS. They walked through that in one of their articles. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's like you get a list of articles. It seems like it's built on top of the existing file share, file system, if I'm not mistaken. So it, um, So it works on normal computers you load files into it and then for each of those files you can now like click it and you can see who you've shared it with and then you can you can share it with additional people you can choose what permissions those people have and you can see what's been shared with you too and each of those things in turn you can you get to share and it, it's uh, it's pretty cool and um yeah we might look at it one of these times i don't know um you know it, in particular some vocabulary i liked from that article is it introduced to the the language of objects and affordances. So each file they treat as an object, which is probably borrowing from the object capability language. Um, But then affordances are the actions you can take as a result of having that object. So if we were treating a car key as an object in that, uh, a car is maybe the object of authority. And so the key represents authority over the object, the car and the affordances of having a car might be uh, starting the car, driving the car, um, opening the trunk, although that might be an affordance of, uh, that's not an affordance of the valet key. Uh, and um, yeah, so uh, when you start thinking of in terms of objects and affordances, it's just a convenient way of kind of organizing the, uh, the interface a little bit. If you're going to be making um, a rich sharing system, uh, you you have to think about the boundaries that are meaningful to share And so object is a useful word for a a thing that's usually shareable. Um, I have yet to hear a good example of something that is shareable that isn't neatly described as an object, Um, but I'm very open to it. Leave it in the comments below. If you can think of something that's not an object (laughs) that you would want to share. No, no, don't do that. Um, And then, uh, (laughs) well, what else? Yeah, and then, yeah, any given object has any number of... um, uh, allowances or affordances uh, things that you can do with it so anyways that's just a couple other things mark siegler's written a lot of great stuff um i really really love his series on on uh secure ui in general and I, th- I think that next week i'll be reading one more paper from mark stiegler uh for now um and it's gonna be him talking about pet names and Zuko's triangle so so tune in next week we're gonna talk about decentralized naming systems we're going to talk about what makes names secure why can you trust something when you see its name and how do we make uh computer systems that can thrive in a permissionless environment um, where things are named what they ought to be and we can uh, make sense of the world around us um, i hope you've enjoyed this uh episode two of dan's secure ui um if you've enjoyed it yeah definitely reach out let me know um you know, I probably rambled too much this time, which is, uh, I'll say it was overcorrecting for the advice, uh, last week, which was, uh, I liked the, uh, in- interruption. So why not give more commentary? So I cranked up the commentary to, uh, 11 this time. Uh, let me know if that's too much. Um, and, uh, let me know if you think there's a, yeah, at some point I'll, I'll try to talk to some of these people, but I'm probably going to be just cranking out one of these a week, um, for four episodes or something. Um. Uh, i'm not committed to doing more than that but these are four particular articles that i really wanted to get out there to a larger audience and, and discuss a little bit so um, i hope you've enjoyed this uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna call it a day uh, you have a good one